morning, church. Good morning and welcome to Riverside. So glad all of you are here today. Uh, those of you here in the house, welcome. For those of you who are joining us for Church Online, so glad you're here with us as well. We are in the middle of a series that we're simply calling God is for us. And, and here's what we believe. We believe that this is true, that we serve a God who knows us by name, loves us as we are, and who has chosen us to be a part of his family. We believe that God truly is with us And that God really is for us. But the truth is, from time to time, we need to remember, we need to be reminded that this is true. And and I hope you've had a chance to do this or to go out and read some of these stories. But on the wall in the foyer, as you exit this morning to the left, you'll see this on the wall. The wall is filling up with these cards, these stories of how God is for us. Stories that all of you have shared, many of you have written. If you haven't done this yet, please, I would love for you to do this. If you have done this, feel free to do it again. Uh, Either way, take time to read some of these stories. It's incredible. It's incredible because sometimes when you're going through whatever it is you're going through, when you're right there in the middle of it, you can't always see it. But, but looking back on it, maybe now you know that that was a time in your life when you're facing that difficulty, that pain, that hardship, that suffering that you were up under. Now you can look back and you, would see, you can see that, that in that moment, in that time, in that season of life, God was carrying you. That God really was with you. That God really was for you. It's so important to remember and to be reminded of this hope. And, and, and this idea of hope, that's really what I want us to lean into together today. This idea of hope. And, and maybe it's best to just start with this question, right? What, what is it you're hoping for? What are you hoping for? What is it that's, that, that's on your heart right now? That's on your mind right now? That's weighing on you? What is it that... That, that you're hoping for today. Some of you know this about me. I've shared this before. I'll, I'll share it again. But one of the things that I really enjoy doing is getting up in the morning and going for a run. I know for some of you that doesn't sound fun. For me, for whatever reason, it does. I, I love getting out early in the morning and going for a run. I'll do this two, three, four, five times a week, depending on the week. And you'll see me sometimes slugging around Coppell, kind of making my way through. I love doing that. When I first moved here uh, almost seven years ago, uh, at that point in my life, the longest race I had run in was a 5K. I got to do that with my sister and it was, it was amazing, but I had a desire to, to do more, to do maybe a, a half marathon or something like that. But the truth was I had no earthly idea how to train for that, how to prepare for that, how to do that. But there were some, some guys in this church who found out that I wanted to do that and they had run half marathons. They had run full marathons before. And they said, hey, we'll, we'll help you. We'll train with you. We'll, we'll help you prepare, help you train, and we'll run the race with you, which is so cool. I think it's another story of the uncommon generosity of this church because these two guys, they got up early every morning during the week and they knew I, at the time I had little kids and, you know, I, it was my job in the morning to help get the kids up, get them ready for school. So I had to, to do all this before they got up. And so they would drive to my house in the wee hours of the morning, meet me at my house. We would go for a run and it was amazing, get back and then we would do our thing. And, and, and we did that every week until we were finally ready for the big day, for race day, to run a half marathon. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget how excited I was that day to run that race. I'll never forget how we finished, uh, crossed the finish line together. And, and, and I'll never forget some of the things that, that I learned along the way. If you've ever run a 5K, a 10K, a half, a full, if you're an ultra runner, any kind of thing like that, you, you know this is true, that there is a relationship between hope and suffering, right? There's a relationship between hope 
and suffering because somewhere along the way, somewhere, somewhere along the way as you're running that race, you're going to want to quit. You're going to want to stop. You're going to want to give up. You're, you're going to experience pain. You're going to wonder why you paid good money to put yourself through this. <laughs> and, and the only thing that keeps you going, well, there's a couple of things, right? First of all, it was those friends that were running the race with me. If you don't know this already, community builds hope. You need friends to run whatever race you're running with you. But, but it, was, it was that, and it was the training we put in, and then it was, it was remembering that at the end of this race, this race that I knew I wasn't going to win, but that was never the goal. The goal wasn't to win the race. The goal was to finish the race. And when I crossed the finish line, they were going to give me a medal, a medal like this. And on, on this one, you can see on the lanyard here, it has this word. It also has it right here at the bottom. It has the word finisher. And I love that. I love that. You cross that finish line and they give you a medal. And it signifies this moment that you finished the race. You can keep on going because of the hope you have, because of the friends you have, because of the training you've put in. And you run and you run and you run until you cross the finish line and you are a finisher. That's great when it comes to, to running a race. But you know, like I know, that we live in a world, we live in a world where more often than not, people have lost hope. And they've lost hope for a lot of different reasons, but we live in a world where people have lost hope. Maybe it's because they've been hoping and hoping and waiting and waiting for things to get better at home, better in their marriage. They've been waiting and hoping that, that their health will improve, that the treatment will work. They're hoping that their finances will change. They're hoping that work will get better. They're hoping that business will pick up. They're hoping and they're waiting, but it's been so long and it feels like nothing has changed, or at least it's not changing fast enough, and they're beginning to lose hope. We live in a world where people just, some people have decided they don't even need hope. That's probably especially true when you think about where we live and the time in which we live. But for a lot of, a lot of us and a lot of people around us, we live in a world right here just locally where people decided they don't need hope. Because you hope for things that, that, that you know, you, you don't have, Right? And we live in a world where people just get what they want when they want it. They need something, they go get it. They don't live in the waiting. They don't live without. They need something, they go get what they need. So they don't need hope because whatever they need, they just get. So they don't know what it is to hope. And then there's other people that they just don't even believe in hope. They, they don't believe in hope because they believe that you determine your own destiny. They believe that you get what you deserve. They believe, you know, whatever you have or don't have... That's because of what, either because of what you did or what you didn't do. Like you get what you deserve, you get what you work for, you work hard, you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You can have the life you want and you can have that if you work hard enough to get it. And if you don't, then you don't. And after all, that is the American dream, right? But the truth is for all of us is that at some point along this journey, this race called life, we're going to experience pain. There's going to be suffering it's going to get hard at some point. You're going to want to quit. You're going to want to give up. You're going to wonder why. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening this way? Why do things have to go this way? You're going to ask that question, why, why? And at some point, you're going to ask, why God? Why? I think that's one of the reasons that 
Paul decided some 2,000 years ago when he wrote this letter to the small group of Jesus followers living in the ancient city of Rome to remind them, just like he would want to remind you and me, of the hope that we have. Because we live in a world where a lot of people have lost hope. We live in a world where a lot of people have given up on hope. We live in a world where some people don't need hope, some people don't believe in hope, but he wants us to remember, especially those of us who've decided to follow Jesus, that there is hope for us. If you have your Bible or the YouVersion Bible app, I would love to invite you to open up to Romans chapter 8. We're working through Romans chapter 8 in these days leading up to Easter. Maybe, maybe one of the greatest, if not the greatest chapters in all of Scripture. Paul, Paul knew something about suffering. He knew what it meant to suffer for Christ. He knew what it meant to suffer as a follower of Christ. And so when he writes this letter to this group of Jesus followers living in the ancient city of Rome, he understood what he was talking about. And I want you to hear, we finished with these words last week, but I want to pick up again here this week in Romans 8, 17. I want you to hear what Paul says to these, these Jesus followers. He says, and since we are his children, God's children, sons and daughters of God, we are his heirs. In fact, Together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. And then he says this, But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. All right, can we just be honest for a minute? This is the part that, that no one told you about. This is the part that, just to be honest, we don't talk much about. In fact, out of the hundreds or thousands or maybe millions of sermons that are being preached around the world today, my guess is that, is that very few of them talk about this idea of suffering. Truth is, you would probably rather hear a sermon about, you know, here's three ways to have the best marriage ever, or here's, you know, ten ways that God wants to bless your children, or here's how to experience the life God wants for you. And all those things are well and good. I'm not knocking any of that. Just the reality is we don't talk a whole lot about this idea of suffering. I don't know how many of you saw the movie. It came out a few weeks, a few months ago. I don't know when. You remember this movie, Encanto? Any of you families? If you have kids, you've seen this Disney movie. It's a Disney movie, Encanto. If you've seen it, you know this. If you haven't, watch it if you want to. I don't care. But uh, there's, there's a song in the movie. Our family still sings this song uh, called We Don't Talk About Bruno. If you've heard this song, you're going to be stuck on that the rest of the day. Sorry. But, but just like the Madrigal family doesn't talk about Bruno, those of us who follow Jesus, we just don't talk a lot about suffering. Even though, even though Jesus talked a lot about suffering. Even, even though Jesus promised that if we decided to follow him, that suffering would be a part of our story. Even though Jesus himself suffered and died on the cross, we don't like to talk about suffering. Even, those, even though out of those original disciples of Jesus, those that chose to follow him and give their life for him, all but one of them died a martyr's death. But we don't like to talk about suffering. Even though Jesus tells us, calls us, to take up our cross and follow him, which means a lot of things, but most certainly means that along the way there's going to be pain, there's going to be suffering. We don't like to talk about suffering. But Paul talks about suffering. He understood what it meant to suffer for Christ. He, he understood what it meant to suffer as a follower 
of Jesus. And he wanted us to know that as, as sons and daughters of God, that means that we are heirs of God. We're going to inherit what we would inherit as sons and daughters of God. And part of that is, is the glory of God, which means that at the end of this race called life, you're going to get a medal. You're going to cross the finish line. It's going to say finisher, and, and you're going to get this. This is the hope that we have, right? But along the way, if we are to share in his glory, Paul says, we must also share in his suffering. And at first, that might sound like bad news because the truth is, if you're anything like me, we don't like to suffer. We avoid discomfort, right? We worship comfort, but we avoid pain and discomfort, being uncomfortable. We avoid that at all costs. But, but Paul wanted every believer in every generation in every place to understand this truth. Verse 18, he says this, Yet what we suffer now, it is nothing. What you suffer now, whatever it is, whatever you're going through, whatever you're up against, whatever we suffer now, it is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. Whatever cross you're having to carry, whatever suffering you're going through, whatever it is you're up against, you've got to remember this, Paul says, it's nothing. It's absolutely, it doesn't even compete or compare to the future glory that God has for us. For a lot of people, suffering it means hopelessness. Whatever they're going through, it just feels like the weight of the world is on their shoulders and they can't bear it any longer. And they literally feel hopeless. But for those of us who have put our faith in God and decided to follow Jesus, something has happened. Paul says something has shifted. We have a different perspective. Everything changes. There's a relationship between hope and suffering. And for those of us who suffer for Christ or suffer as followers of Christ, something has changed. And what changes is our perspective because now we know that because of Jesus, we have this unparalleled hope. And here's the thing your ability, our ability to endure whatever it is we're going through, your ability to endure whatever present suffering you're up under, whatever's coming against you, whatever's weighing you down, it is directly tied to your future hope. Whatever it is you're going through, your ability to endure that, to persevere, to make it through, it is directly tied to your future hope. But Paul goes on and he says this in verse 19. He says, I want you to know this too, all creation, all creation is waiting eagerly it's not just you. All creation is waiting eagerly for that future day, that future hope, when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, you may not have known this, but against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. You see, all creation is hoping for, all creation is longing for, waiting for everything to be made right and everything to be made new. Sometimes we forget this. We think that, that our sin just affects us. But what happens is that sin doesn't just lead to broken people. And that certainly happens. You understand that, right? That one of the consequences of sin is broken lives, broken people. But sin, when sin entered the story, it didn't just break people. But sin broke all of creation. And just think about it. Before sin entered the story in the Garden of Eden, there was no such thing as floods or droughts. There was no such thing as tornadoes or hurricanes. 
There were no such things as, as wildfires or tsunamis or earthquakes. None of those things were a part of God's creation. Everything he made was good. Everything he made was in perfect balance and perfect harmony. And then sin entered the story and everything changed. Sometimes you think, my sin, it just affects me. But your sin, it never just affects just you. We think it affects just me. That, that's the lie that we're tempted to believe. And by the way, your enemy, our adversary, the devil, uh, Satan himself, whose other name, by the way, is father of lies. He whispers this lie into your ear and he says, your sin, whatever decision you're about to make that you know is against the heart and the will and the desire of God, it's just going to affect you. And you start to believe, I'm just hurting myself. But your sin never just affects you. It affects others. And get this, it even affects all of creation. Everything is broken, everything in the world because of sin. But the good news, and here's the gospel part of the story, here's the God is for us part of the story, the good news is that our sin isn't the end of the story. The good news is that your sin doesn't get the last word. Paul says, but with eager hope. You get that? With great anticipation, with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. This is the eager hope. This is what all of creation longs for, waits for, anticipates. Is that there will be a day when everything will be made right, when everything will be made new. There is a new heaven and a new earth, a new day, a new dawn coming where, where everything that sin has broken, God will set Right, and all creation is looking forward to that day when it will all be made right and all will be made new. And then Paul says in 22, for we know that all creation has been groaning, groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we also groan, even though, even though we have this, we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. That's important. For we long for our bodies to be released. Don't we long for this? We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with that eager hope for the day when God will give us all our future, our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he has promised us, those resurrection bodies. Because Jesus rose from the grave, we have this future hope. That one day, not only will all of creation be set right, not only will every relationship be set right, but your body will be set free from sin and suffering. And you too will have a resurrected body like Christ. This is the good news. This is the hope that we have. And you, you can know this and experience this now. There's sort of a, a now and a not yet. There's an already and a, it's still coming kind of promise here. Right, Because when you confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life and you enter these waters of baptism and you're buried with Christ in baptism, you die to yourself and then you're resurrected to new life. Here's the promise that Jesus made to you and to me and to everyone who believes in him. Here's the promise that you're going to receive the Holy Spirit now. And that's the promise. That's what Paul talks about. We receive the Holy Spirit as a foretaste of things to come. The Holy Spirit is given to us now to help us. To help us through and in the middle of our present suffering and pain and whatever's going on in us or around us. And to remind us that a new day, a new dawn is coming. 
we've talked about this before, but, but we're only 21 days away from Easter Sunday. 21 days away from Resurrection Sunday, the day that, that Jesus rose from the grave, Easter Sunday. And on that day here at Riverside, that's, that's Baptism Sunday. And I'm excited about that day. And for some of you, maybe this is just a, another chance to, to remind you that this promise is true. That when you confess Jesus Christ, if you haven't done that yet, and you say, he is the Lord and the Savior of my life. I believe he is who he says he is. And you're ready to take this next step in your journey of faith. And for a lot of you, that's what it is. It's a big step, it's a significant step, but it's the next step in your journey of faith, of believing in Jesus. When you take that step, here's the promise. You receive the Holy Spirit to help you now and to remind you that there's a new day coming when everything will be made right and everything will be made new. We're 21 days away from Easter Sunday, from Baptism Sunday. If you're thinking about making that decision, taking that next step of faith, let me encourage you to take a step before that step and to talk to somebody today or this week. Find a parent, find one of our elders, find one of our ministers, find a trusted adult in this church that you respect and look up to and talk to them. That's the, that's the first step before this next step because your success as a follower of Jesus, it all hinges on relationship, relationship with God and relationship with others. And before you take that step into the water, we want you to take that step in relationship of talking with someone to help you and to surround you and to walk with you as you walk with God. We're 21 days away from Easter in church. I want to ask you to pray with me that that day we will see people confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, step into the waters of baptism, be resurrected to new life, and receive the Holy Spirit as their sins are washed away. Paul says in verse 24, this is the hope that we were given when we were saved. We were given this hope. This is the hope that we're given when we're saved. The hope of the Holy Spirit and the hope that one day everything that's gone wrong, God will make right. So what is it? What is it that you're hoping for today? Maybe that's what you're hoping for. Maybe you're hoping that someone that you love, maybe a family member, maybe a friend, maybe a neighbor, maybe a coworker. Maybe somebody God has put on your heart will come to faith in Jesus and take that next step and be baptized in Christ. Maybe you're hoping for a second opinion, for the treatment to work, for healing, for God to do what only God can do. Maybe you're hoping that a relationship that's been broken can maybe finally be restored somehow and you know that can only happen by the power and the grace of God. Yes, there's things that you need to do and that they need to do, but ultimately you need God's grace just to come and to saturate that relationship. Maybe you're hoping for things to improve because work is hard and life is hard and family is hard. Maybe you just need things to change. Maybe you need a new start, a new opportunity. Whatever it is, what are you hoping for today? Maybe you're hoping somebody will notice your pain because right now you feel like you're all on your own. And just like I needed people to run that race with me, you need people to run your race with you. But whatever it is you're hoping for, I want to remind you of two things today. First is this. There is hope. There is hope for us who believe in Jesus. The second thing is this. How you suffer, what you suffer matters. How you suffer, what you suffer matters. 
there's a story about these disciples of Jesus. Uh, the story happens after Jesus has been arrested and crucified and buried. Then comes Sunday, he's resurrected. Jesus walks the planet for another 40 some odd days. He's seen by 500 people. He continues his ministry and teaching and then he ascends to heaven. His disciples, as you might imagine, are just on fire for Christ. They cannot stop talking about Jesus of Nazareth and that he is God's Messiah. And they're telling this story to literally everyone they meet. And this is becoming a problem, especially in the city of Jerusalem, because the religious leaders there in the city of Jerusalem, they have been trying for the better part of three years to put an end to Jesus of Nazareth. And they thought they did. I mean, they literally had the man crucified killed. They waited at the cross that Friday until they knew he was dead. They had a Roman soldier thrust a Roman spear into his side to know that he wasn't just dead, he was dead, dead. But now these followers of Jesus, these disciples of Jesus, they can't stop telling the story that Jesus is God's Messiah. He's the one who came to save them, rescue them. Yes, it happened differently than they thought, but here's the good news. It's even better than they thought, and they don't understand they know that he was dead. They know that he was buried. They also know that his body went missing and they can't explain that. But the story that these disciples are telling is that he was resurrected, that he's really alive even though he was dead. But as far as they know, that's impossible. But people, people all over Jerusalem, they're believing the story. And now they too are becoming followers of Jesus. And, and this, this group is, is growing and flourishing and thriving. And they're becoming a part of what they call followers of the way. Don't you love that? And this group is growing and growing. And now these religious leaders are getting more nervous and more scared and more afraid because this is a threat. Just like Jesus was a threat, now these followers of Jesus are a threat to their power and their position and their influence. And so these, these religious people, they, they do what people in power do when people in power are afraid. They leverage their power to put an end to whatever it is they're afraid of, regardless of who's right, who's wrong, and who might get hurt. So they send the guards to go and arrest these people, these followers of Jesus, these, these disciples who just won't stop talking about them. And they bring them and they put them in jail. That night, Something else happens that they didn't see coming. By the way, you should read the story. This is a great story. It's at the end of Acts chapter 5. If you want to go read the story for yourself, incredible story. And I'm leaving out a lot of details. You should read the story. <laughs> that night, something happens that they didn't see coming. That night, as they're sitting in jail, God sends an angel to the jail to open up the jail cell. And these followers of Jesus walk out of the jail in the middle of the night. Well, the next morning comes and the religious leaders, they form a council and they're gonna put these men on trial and they wanna convict them and they wanna punish them. So they send the guards back to the jail to get the men that they had locked up, but guess what? They're not there. And what's worse, now they've got people coming and telling them, oh, those men that you locked up and put in jail last night, they're back in the temple courts and they're telling more people about Jesus of Nazareth. Well now, man, they are just furious. They send guards back to the temple courts to arrest them for now the second time. They have them brought before the council and their desire at this point, they are so full of rage, they just want to kill them. They want to, they want to be done with these people. But they decide instead not to do that. Instead, what they're going to do is they're going to have them flogged. 
you don't know what that is, they're gonna tie them up to post, tie their wrist to post. They're gonna take a cat of nine tails, a whip that has nine lashes on it. At the end of each of those nine tails, there's gonna be pieces of rock or glass or bone or, or, or metal, whatever sharp object, sharp, sharp object they can find. And as, it, as the story goes, typically they would, they, would, they would give you 39 lashes. You can only imagine, but at the end of that beating, their backs probably looked like hamburger meat. Now you might think that after being arrested twice, put in jail, brought before a council, threatened, and then beaten within an inch of their life, that these disciples of Jesus would be done with Jesus. Wouldn't you? After all the pain, the shame, the humiliation, after all the suffering they've just endured, don't you think they might ask the question, where are you, God? Do you see what I'm going through? Do you know what they did to me? Can you look at my back? God, are you there? God, do you care? You might expect that that would be their response. But I want you to hear what their actual response was. In Acts 5, verses 41 and 42, Luke tells us the apostles left the high council after being beaten and nearly killed, rejoicing. Rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And you know what they did? Every day in the temple and from house to house, they just kept on talking about Jesus, teaching and preaching this message. Jesus really is the Messiah. That's who he is. How you suffer, what you suffer matters. Don't you think that those people who were there the day watching them be beaten within an inch of their life, who then showed up the next day and heard them talking about the goodness of God, about the kindness of God, about the compassion of God, about the love of God. Don't you think they were wondering what in the world are you talking about? But remember, every testimony comes from adversity, suffering, where you allowed God to have an opportunity to prove that he really is for us, he really is faithful, and his love really is true. Don't you think that they had a new opportunity to explain something to a group of people who probably never would have believed it before, but because they saw how they suffered, what they suffered, now their eyes are open, now their ears are open, now their hearts are open to receive a message they may have never received before. Some of you know this because some of you have experienced this, some of you are living this. Whatever it is you're going through, and it may be incredibly, insanely difficult and hard, but you rejoice and you have hope and the people around you see that and they wonder, why are they so different? Why do they have the hope that they have? I know their situation. I know what's going on in their life. I know what's going on in their health. How can they go around with such joy? And then you have an opportunity to tell them, oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you about the great love of God. Let me tell you about the hope that I have. You see, hope changes everything. 
And church, we have hope. And our hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. How you suffer, what you suffer, it matters more than you know. There's a relationship between hope and suffering. And when you go through whatever you go through, remembering the goodness and the grace and the kindness and the love of God and using that, leveraging that in your life to show others the great love of God and the hope that you have, it changes absolutely everything. What if? What if instead of praying for God to relieve you of your suffering, what if you asked God to help you? To help you as you suffer, to carry his name well, and to share his name with those around you. What if the hope that you have, what if you believe so deeply in the hope that you have, that you know that this life that we live, oh, there's more to the story, and the best is yet to come. And the Holy Spirit living within you helps you but it also reminds you that one day God will make everything right and everything new. Church, let's stand. Here's what I believe is true, church. One day, one day we're gonna cross the finish line. And when you do, you're not gonna receive a medal. I think you're gonna receive a crown. But on that crown, I think it's gonna have a word finisher. But in order for us to finish the race that we're running, this race called life, I think you need three things. I think you need friends. You need community. Community builds hope. You need people to run this race with you. That's why you need the church. People say, man, I love God and I even love his word. I'm not so sure about church. You need the church because you were never created to do life alone. And you need people around you to run this race with you. Do not go it alone you're going to finish this race, you need the church. You need friends. Not just that, you need training. This is why it's so important for you every day to spend time in the Word of God, to spend time in prayer with God, to spend time with God every day. You are always preparing for you know not what. You need training. But you also need hope. In church, we have hope. And because of the hope that we have, we believe that one day we will cross the finish line and we will receive that crown that says finisher. And I know it's gonna say that. You know how I know? Because one day our God, your father in heaven is gonna look at you as you cross the finish line. He's gonna be the one to greet you. He's gonna be the one to put that crown in your head. And he's gonna say these words, well done. You finished the race. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And church, it's my prayer that we can finish this race together. Let's sing.